approximately 3,000 years ago, in the hill country of Judah, there was a great battle that took place. David walked down the valley into a brook, chose five smooth stones, and with it he struck down the champion of the Philistines and thereby delivered the children of Israel. You and I also have to fight our own battles. We have to walk down in our valley of Elah. When we read the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You and I have to face a lot of battles in our lives. Many of these battles are very significant because if we do not conquer those, we may ultimately lose the battle for our own souls. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about battling unforgiveness. I want to begin by asking a question. Do you struggle with harboring ill will toward those who have sinned against you? Now, I can't answer that question for you. You know what's in your heart. You know how you feel. You know what you think. Along with that, is it hard for you to speak or even speak peaceably to those who have treated you badly? Are you struggling with this? Do you struggle to forgive yourself after you have committed a serious sin? Maybe not just a serious sin. Do you look at yourself and say, I am just destroyed within myself because of what I've done? In your valley of Elah, is forgiveness one of your greatest battles? Well, here's what I would like for us to talk about this morning. I'd like to talk about some principles and some precepts from God's Word. There are so many wonderful examples in the New Testament, particularly, about forgiveness and how you and I ought to forgive one another. Then I want to talk about the prospect of our being forgiven. You know, when you think about forgiveness, we generally think about someone else asking us for our forgiveness. But do we need forgiveness? The prospect of it. And then finally, to talk about some practical things, how you and I can practice being a forgiving person. Let's begin, first of all, and talk about the idea of what's involved in forgiveness. Well, I'd suggest to you there are three main components, and they are revealed in Luke 17, verse 3. Our Lord said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now when you look at that, those three components that are involved, first of all, is the matter of sin. We've got to understand what sin involves. What sin is. The second is that of repentance. Being sorry for what you have done and not only being sorry for it, but changing the way you act. And then finally, the release. 
That is where a person says, I no longer hold you accountable for what you have done, what you have said, or what you have thought. Now let's explore that as we start thinking about sin. Sin is against. That is, we either sin against someone else, we sin against God, or we even sin against ourselves. And that's the reason why there's a need of release, a need of forgiveness. Let's explore that as we think about Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Peter's talking about a brother who comes and does something, says something toward us, and it is a sin, and it's against us. And Peter said, how often shall I do that? Up to seven times. Or you can go a little bit further to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David is reflecting on his sin with Bathsheba and the ultimate murder of Uriah. And he said in chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. I've sinned against the Lord. But didn't David sin with Bathsheba? Yes. So he sinned against her. Didn't David also sin against Uriah and having him killed? He did. But you see, ultimately, sin is against God. In Psalm 51 and verse 4, David said, Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. God's able to look at Tony. God is able to look at you and recognize that you and I, even though we may do something to someone else, it is God's law that we violated. It's Him that we have sinned against. Sometimes we don't recognize that some sins are against ourselves as well. When Paul was writing the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he was writing to a church that was in a town where fornication was extremely prevalent. You have the city of Corinth where you have all these idols, temples, and one of them was to Aphrodite, and it was so that people would live a very licentious life committing fornication. And Paul would say to them, flee fornication. For every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. So as I step back, I realize that you have, first of all, sin, and you have sin against. Sin is against someone else, against God, and against us. But ultimately, all sin finds its way of being against God. But now as I explore this a little bit further and think about some of the precepts that are found in it, I need to make sure that whenever forgiveness is extended that it's been because a sin has occurred. And too many times we categorize things as sin that may not be sin. For instance, if someone says something with no malice, no intent to harm, you don't like it, but there was no sin involved, then you should not have 
a sense in which you expect that person to seek forgiveness, nor should you rebuke them for that. Let's, for instance, look at 1 Samuel chapter 19. You'll remember right after David slew Goliath, David was then put up on a pedestal by many of the people saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Saul looked at David and was jealous because people were ascribing more to him than was being given to Saul. That kind of attitude led Saul to try to kill David. On numerous occasions, he would throw his spear at him. He would seek David's harm. And Jonathan, Saul's son and David's friend, tried to admonish his father. He said to him, he spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against an innocent blood to kill David without a cause? You see, Saul had no reason to... Look at David and think David had sinned against him. Jonathan said he's not sinned against you. David could not stop what the people were saying. David only tried to do what was right. Sometimes we look at other people and perhaps it is jealousy on our part. Perhaps it is something else. But we expect things out of people when a sin has not occurred. But you see... God had a plan for resolving this. If you go to Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 15, Jesus is dealing with this idea and he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now pause with me for a moment and consider what Jesus just said. If your brother sins against you, in your mind, you believe he has committed a sin against you. He says, go to him alone. There's so many reasons why that is wise. Because it's very possible that if you go to your brother and you tell him you've sinned against me, he may look at you and say, you've misunderstood, brother. I didn't sin against you. You misunderstood or someone told you something that was incorrect. Or it is possible that they may have sinned and been unaware of it. But in going alone, there's no pressure, there's no pride that's involved because people can resolve it and no one has to so-called lose face in front of other people. You see, forgiveness can be Asked for and granted with no one else involved. But he goes on to say, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that at the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Some things, though, can be overlooked. 
And I would suggest to you that we need to be in the practice of thinking the best about other people, assuming that they want the right things as much as you and I do. And when it comes to matters of insignificance, matters that are not that important, Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Someone does something, it may have been a bad day for them. They may have responded in a little stronger, a little harsher tone than you and I would have liked to have heard. And yet, there's some things that we can let pass by or to use the word of Scripture to overlook. Now, when you start thinking about the other terms, you've got sin, was sin really involved? Then you've got the word repentance. And then the release. And repentance and remission go together. For instance, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, if I'm reading Scripture, I've got to realize that what the Lord is doing, He's out trying to find sinners to be able to call them to repentance. What He came to do was to make sick people well to release them from their illness of sin. In Luke 24, 47, Luke's record is what the purpose of our Savior was to do. He said, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What are you going to preach? Preach repentance. And you also preach remission of sins. And when the apostles did exactly that, on the day of Pentecost, after they did what Scripture told them to do, Peter showed them that through their actions, they by lawless hands have crucified and slain the Son of God. Their response in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response was, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Do you see the connection between repentance along with baptism being for the remission of sins? In 1 John 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, we've got a God that wants to forgive, that seeks to forgive. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, writing to the church, a church that he had offended with his letter, one that he had made them sorry, he had come on so strong and so sternly that some of them were moved by it. He said, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, what 
that sorrow in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They were a church that was willing to listen and say, you've not done it right. You've been living wrong and they listen and say, okay, we've got to repent so that we can have the remission. Now, for just a moment or two, I'd like for us to think about the prospect of our own forgiveness. And there's a principle that is set forth in the New Testament that is, simply is, if I want to be forgiven, I have got to forgive others. If I'm unwilling to forgive you, then God will be unwilling to forgive me. Oh, there's so many passages with this, I I can't look at them all. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus was giving the model prayer and he was trying to explain, we, we pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If we are unforgiving, God will be unforgiving toward us. Luke 6.37, he says, Forgive and you will be forgiven. James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to him who showed no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then the passage that Brother Cain read to us. You know, when Paul's writing these churches, he's writing to Ephesus, he's writing to Colossae, And he recognizes that in a church like those, just like a church here at Bobby Branch, you can have those within the congregation that are not forgiving. And so he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, or bearing with one another, And forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Do you see the principle that is very plain? If I want God to forgive me, I've got to be willing to look at my brother, my sister, and say, I will forgive you as well. Then there's this wonderful passage found in Matthew 18. Verses 21 through 35. It's a long section. I'm not going to go into it in great detail. I think actually the reading of it provides a tremendous benefit in and of itself. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had in payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him and saying, Master, 
Have patience with me, I will pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid his hand on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay all that, that debt or the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told the master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had compassion on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers till he paid all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you if from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You see, the Lord was trying to teach Peter a lesson. And sometimes the Lord had to use illustrations that you and I can see and understand. The unforgiving will not be forgiven. For just a moment or two, I want to talk about practice now. Is there anything that I can do that will help me be a more forgiving person? That when someone comes to me and says, Tony, I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I want you to forgive me. I think there's some things that will help. And this first one is the one that it just constantly comes back to my mind when you think about forgiving someone else. And that is, number one, to realize how generous God has been with us. Now, before I even go into the details of David's appreciation of God's forgiveness, I want you to think about what Peter said. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I'll tell you the way most of us think. I'll forgive you the first time, but you better not ever do it again. Sometimes I'll forgive you the second time, but now you're really on probation. And then we'll say, three strikes, you're out. You're done. We're not even as willing to go as far as Peter did to say up to seven times. Let me ask you just a question. How many times do you think God has forgiven you this past week? Once, twice, three times, seven times. You see, if you start thinking of it that way, you start thinking, you know, maybe God has been more generous to me than I realize. David, in the Psalms, tells us what's in his heart, what he's thinking. And as he looks at God's graciousness, 
and then looks at his own lack. He said in Psalm 6 and verse 6, I am weary with my groanings. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. David looked and he said, God, I'm so sorry. And he's crying. He said, so much I've wet the bed with my tears. Psalm 25, verse 17. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all of my sins. There's pain involved when we recognize how badly we've sinned against God. Psalm 38. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. No health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden that is too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I bow down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. David said, God, look at me. I'm giving up. Psalm 51, 9 through 13. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take, cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will treat, teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David said, God, I am in the depths of despair. Lift me up. Let me know I'm forgiven. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 8. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see what David is saying. Look at me. I see what God has done for me. Look at you. See what God can do for you. That just really can't be overdone. Appreciate what God has done for you. Number two, treat others like you want to be treated. What if... Because you recognize the seriousness of your sin. You go in a penitent heart to your brother or your sister and you say to them, I'm sorry. I either didn't know what I was doing or I did it in a moment of emotion, a moment of passion, and I want to beg your forgiveness. What do you want that person to do to you? 
Do you want them to look you in the eye and say, brother or sister, I forgive you. We're good. Everything's okay. Is that what you want? It's what I want. So if someone comes to you and says to you, will you forgive me? What do you say? Well, I can't believe you made that big a mistake. I can't believe that you were so insane. No. What do you want people to do to you? You treat them the way you would want to be treated. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Number three is to recognize that hatred and vengeance are never permitted. You say, what? Hatred and vengeance are never permitted. If someone sins against you, you can't hate them. You can't seek vengeance against them. Not and be pleasing to God. Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, our problem is sometimes we like nursing the idea of being a martyr. Somebody has mistreated me. And we're going to revel in that. No, you don't. God does not permit that. You need to seek forgiveness. Pray for them. Yes, you pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you and misuse you, mistreat you. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, Samuel had been rejected. Not only had Samuel been rejected, but his children had been rejected. They wanted a king so they could be like the nations round about them. Samuel was told to explain to these people what it would be like to have a king. And had to explain to them God's displeasure. The people wanted Samuel to pray for them. Could you see Samuel saying, Hey, you guys don't want me? You go pray yourself. No, that's not what he did. He said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. I'm not going to sin against God by failing to pray for you. Don't ever bring up what was forgiven. Husbands and wives, we sometimes need to make sure that we listen carefully to this. We all carry this figurative knapsack with us. Every time somebody does something that we feel is wrong, we just put that in that knapsack. We're not going to let it go. We're going to hold on to it. And then when we have a really good argument, you know what we do that knapsack? We just take it and we turn it all on them at one time. 
We bring up every bad thing that they've ever said or ever done in their whole life. And do you know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness? Hebrews 8 and verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Chapter 10, verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Are you not glad that when you were baptized for the remission of your sins, that all those sins prior to your becoming a child of God have been washed away? All of them. God's never going to bring them up again. If God doesn't bring up our sins again, once they're forgiven, neither should we. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. But I don't feel like forgiving them. That's your problem. You've got a bad heart. You need to work on your heart. Forgiveness is a choice of what you do. If you've got a heart problem, you need to deal with that. God calls His people to be a better people. In fact, He calls us to be like Him. As you get to the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, He's talking about the kind of treatment we would have for others. He says, if you love them that love you, what reward do you have? The worldly people do those things. And God sends the rain and the sunshine on the good and evil, on the just and the unjust. And you get to verse 48, he says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word perfect means complete, full. And what he's talking about is being like God. We all go down into our own valley and we fight our own battles. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest battles that we face is extending and giving true forgiveness. This morning, I'd like to encourage you to seek forgiveness from God. If you're not a Christian, you can seek the forgiveness by coming to God and believing That He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You can come to Him repenting of your sin, saying, Father, I'm sorry for what I have done. Confessing the sweet name of Christ that you believe the Son of God and being baptized. What a privilege it would be this morning to be a part of witnessing a new brother or a new sister in Christ. For some of us, we may need to do some other things today. We may need to go to a brother or a sister in Christ and say, I'm sorry. Or we may need to go to a brother or sister and say, I forgive you. And if it is a private matter, I encourage you to take care of it that way, privately. But it's very possible that some of our sins have become public 
and an embarrassment to us and to the Lord. And we have a privilege now to be able to pray for one another. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come as we stand together and sing.